and open up to Romans 1. Um, we've talked already with that whole reading Romans backwards strategy, right? About the problems that we see in chapters 12 through 16 that Paul's addressing. Uh, and one of the big ones is that there is a lot of animosity between Jewish and Gentile Christians in the church at Rome. Uh, we talked about the whole exile thing out of the city of Rome, right? This used to be a majority Jewish church. Then all the Jews are kicked out of the city for a period of a few years. And, and so it becomes an entirely Gentile church. Then that ban is lifted and some of the Gen- or Jews come back. And all of a sudden they're a minority in this church. Um, and there's a lot of debate about how should we eat? Uh, what, how should we observe holy days? What should church look like in this community? And the Jews and Gentiles are really looking down on each other. There's a lot of tension between these two groups. And Paul thinks that the way through this prejudice is by helping these two groups better understand the gospel and the gift of grace that they've received from the Lord. Um, On Tuesday, we read chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. And uh, as a quick review, um, you know, verses 18 through 32 talk about how God's wrath is revealed from heaven against the unrighteousness of men. Because people suppress the truth about God, they give themselves up to impurity and to increasing levels of sin. Um, and, And what story did that kind of bring to your mind? Yeah, it, it sounds like a Sodom and Gomorrah type thing. So, which of the groups, Sodom and Gomorrah was Jewish or Gentile city? Gentile. It was Gentile. So, which of the groups in the Church of Rome would hear Paul uh, in verses 18 through 32 and would think, Paul's on my side? Jewish, Jewish probably would. Um, <clears throat> in chapter 2, though, Paul kind of turns that back against them. He says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Um, what is Paul basically saying there? Yeah, you're just as bad as them. If you were listening to me talk about this in verses 18 through 32, and you were pointing the finger saying, yeah, Paul, sick them, get them, man. He's saying you need to recognize that there are fingers pointing back at you. You know that whole thing, right? Point one finger, there's three pointing back at you, right? He says, um, if you're condemning, if you're a Jewish person thinking, oh, Paul's on my side right now, he's really going after them Gentiles, if you're in that position and you're judging and, and, and you're making uh, that condemnation, then you need to know that you're judging and condemning yourself because you're in the exact same position. Um, what tribe is Paul from? Anybody remember? Benjamin. From Benjamin. And do you remember in the Old Testament a story that took place within the borders of Israel that sounded a lot like Sodom and Gomorrah? 
What was it? Well, it was, it started off with a Levite who had a concubine. They're in Bethlehem and he starts thinking, I need to get back to Shiloh, you know, worship at the tabernacle. And they pass through Benjamin and they stay in a city called Gibeah. And the men of the city surround the house. They demand that the man be thrown out so that they can know him. And instead, he throws out his concubine, and they sexually abuse her. Then the next day, the Levite cuts her into 12 pieces and sends a piece to each of the tribes. And they come and fight against Benjamin. Initially, Benjamin wins, but then the other tribes beat Benjamin so badly that they hardly leave a man left in the tribe. They almost exterminate it. And they make a vow that they'll never give their daughters in marriage to the men of Benjamin. Uh, so Benjamin's about to be exterminated. And then the tribes say, well, that's not something that should happen. So what is their solution? Every, like, I forgot what festival it was, but they would, like, during the festival, they would, like, kidnap a group of young unmarried women and be like, well, you're the ones, and then send them off to Benjamin and, like, them to their Well, it, it'll be their own daughters, the, the young women will come and dance before the Lord at a festival in Shiloh, and the men of Israel will basically turn their backs while the men of Benjamin go and kidnap them, force them to be their wives. Uh, great story. <laughs> Worse than Sodom. Probably. And which tribe is Paul from? Benjamin. So the only reason Paul is alive is because of that. So as the Gentiles look back at their family history, do the Gentiles have very much that they can boast about? But as the Jews look back on their family history, are they just as bad? They are. Paul is bringing a great equality between these two groups. He's trying to help them see their sin as it really is. Uh, He'll make this point forcefully in chapter three he just kind of takes a bunch of old testament quotations and piles them one on top of another in chapter three starting in verse nine he says what then are we jews any better off better off than who the gentiles Gentiles. are we jews any better off than the gentiles and his answer in verse nine what is it No, no not at all For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, see how he's using the word all there? What does all mean in that verse? Both Jews and Greeks. So remember, throughout Romans, whenever you see this all or everyone language, you should think of it in terms of Jews and Greeks. We've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. They're on an even playing field. And then in verse 10, as it's written, and look at all of the different Old Testament quotations that he brings forward. None is righteous. No, not one. How many people are righteous? Well, the Gentiles aren't, but the Jews are, right? None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All 
How many? Have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they've not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. How many people can be saved by the law? How many people can be saved by works? None. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So you see how he's making this really uh, kind of great equalizing statement about Jews and Gentiles. Can Jews look down on Gentiles? No. Can Gentiles look down on Jews? Because both alike are on an even playing field. Both alike are sinful. And, and the Jew might say, but, but we have the law. We have the Ten Commandments. So that kind of makes us more righteous, right? And can anybody keep them? The entire history of the Old Testament has been a failure to keep it. That's what Peter says at the Jerusalem Council, remember? Can I put on the Gentiles a law that I and my forefathers were not able to keep? How many people... Uh, What does justified mean in verse 20, by the way? It says, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. What does it mean to be justified? To be made made righteous, to be counted as righteous in God's sight. How righteous do you have to be? Fully, perfectly. So can the law, can works save a single person? No. No. So he makes this great equalizing statement. It doesn't matter if you have the law. It doesn't matter if you have circumcision. It doesn't matter what you have. All alike are sinful. There's a great equality in the human race for all have sinned. Verse 21, though, we get a really wonderful first word. What is the first word of verse 21? But. But. Um, You're happy to see that there. You're a sinner, you're a really bad sinner, you're a really, really, really bad sinner. By the way, it's not just you, it's everyone. Everyone's a sinner. No one can be saved by works of the law. If that was the end of Romans, that would be very bad. Verse 20, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets do bear witness to it or do point to it. It's the righteousness of God through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So, um, back in chapter 1, verse 18, it talked about how the righteousness of God was revealed.
It was revealed in chapter 1, verse 18, through God's wrath against what? Somebody read verse chapter 1, verse 18 for us. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So God's righteousness was revealed in chapter 1, verse 18, through his wrath against what? Unrighteousness, ungodliness. It, it was revealed to, to kind of import some of the language that we just read from chapter 3 against sinful works. It's the first way that God's righteousness is revealed. God is a just judge. And a just judge punishes that which is evil. And mankind's works, you know, is every human being as bad as he could possibly be? Does God's grace restrain us in sin, even unbelievers? does. Not everyone's Hitler, right? But the, the way that the scriptures are speaking here is that all have sinned, all have done unrighteous works, all have failed to meet the standard which God set for us. And so God's righteousness is revealed by his wrath against sinful works, but then in chapter 3, verse 21, God's righteousness is revealed another way. His righteousness righteousness of God is revealed through what in verse 21 and following someone read uh, chapter 3 21 and 22 but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe that's good so now, the righteousness of God is being revealed through what? Yeah, uh, it's, it's being received by faith in Jesus. Jesus. What Paul is presenting here, what he's going to present throughout the rest of Romans, in Galatians, in some of his other letters as well, is that there are two basises on which you can, you can come before God. But there's only two. The first one is you can come before the Lord on the basis of works. And is that good news? No. The other basis from, from which you can come before God is on the basis of faith. And is that good news? It is. You can either stand before the Lord on the basis of your own works, or on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. And the righteousness of God, if you come to him based on your works, the righteousness of God is bad news for you because there is none who is righteous, no, not one. But if you come to God on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ, as Paul's going to explain in the rest of Romans, the righteousness of God becomes very good news for you. He's not ready to spell that out quite yet. We'll keep looking at chapter 3. 
chapter 3, verse 22, there's no distinction. Verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Um, a second ago, can you, can you be justified by your works? In verse 20. On this side, is there any justification? No. No. On this side, there is, though. In that verse that I just read, justified by what? Uh, actually, some, it was a different word. By, by God's grace as a gift. As a gift. So is justification over here something that you have earned? No. No, it's not a wage. It's a gift. Through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a sacrifice by his blood, to be received by faith. So you're justified by God's grace and you receive the gift of justification by your faith. You receive the gift by faith. Important concepts in Paul's theology. Salvation is by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You guys know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It's the work of God. It's not of works so that no man may boast. About halfway through verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he's passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. And then look at the uh, kind of takeaway that Paul has starting in verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? What is the problem in this church been? These two groups look down on each other and they say, my group is better, superior. They boast about themselves. Oh, I'm a Gentile. I'm kind of better than the Jews. Oh, I'm a Jew. I'm better than the Gentiles. Um, Paul has established by this point, everyone's on an even playing field. Everyone is a sinner. No one is saved by being better by the, than the other group. If you try to be saved by being better than the other group, well, maybe you will be better than that person. But will you actually receive justification in God's sight. No, the only way to be saved is by God's grace. How would you define grace, by the way? Free gifts that you don't earn. Yeah, um, receiving favor that you don't deserve, right? Um, I used to go over to this person's house a lot and I had to back out of their driveway they had a mailbox really close to the driveway. And every time I backed out, I would have to come about that close to hitting the mailbox to get out onto the road safely. And I never actually hit it because I'm a great driver. <laughs> actually, I have a backup camera. That's why. Um, 
But, you know, I, let's say that one day I, I back out and I hit their mailbox. Um, you know, if they treated me fairly, what would I have to do? Buy them a new one and then probably also do what? Yeah, install it. Um, what would Grace say in that situation? If they were gracious with me, what might they do? Hey, don't worry about it. You know, they take care of it. Grace's undeserved, unmerited favor, favor that you don't really deserve to have. So the fact that we're saved by grace means that God is treating us, in a sense, unfairly. In our favor, though. Right? uh, Treating us in a way that we don't deserve that's good for us. Right? So you're saved, you're, you're, you're declared righteous in God's sight, you're saved by his grace. And is it like, you know, God gives us grace and then, um, you know, we, it, it's kind of a 50-50 thing. It's like 50% grace, 50% us. Is that what it is? We have to receive it by what? Faith. faith. What does faith mean? You have faith. What does that mean? Isn't it, almost, uh, isn't it really, really similar to the uh, biblical definition of hope? There is a connection there. They're two different things, according to Paul. Okay, it's belief, but it would go a little bit further than that. Because even the demons believe, and they do what? You know, yeah, tremble. So they don't have faith, but they have belief. would be love. Faith, hope, and love are three different things, according to Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians. Maybe we would define it as something close to trust, right? That would kind of give us a, a definition of belief. You know, I believe. Uh, also would give us kind of this uh, confidence assurance type thing. It's a, it's a trust. God's made promises. He's made offers to us. And we believe that they're true. We trust that they're true. So the, the great equality that Paul is driving at here is Jews and Gentiles in this church alike were sinners. They all fell short of God's standard, whether they had the law and had circumcision and had all those things or not. Everyone was condemned by the law. They were on an even playing field in their sin. And on the other hand, even as Christians, they're still on an even playing field. Because were they saved by their own greatness, by their own goodness? They were saved by God's grace, given as a gift, received through trust, received through faith. So in verse 27, with those ideas in mind, Paul says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, 
of Gentiles also, since God is one, and he'll justify those who are circumcised by faith and will justify the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold it. So you see this great equality, equalizing argument that Paul's made. If these people were saved by works, would they have something to brag about? Yeah. They were saved by their own goodness. They would be able to pat themselves on the back and say, oh, I'm so good. Good job, me. Be able to look at someone else and say, "Mm, you're not as good. God loves me more, something like that. But that's excluded here, Paul says. There's no room for boasting or proudness in the Christian life. There's no room for it in this church because God has saved sinners by grace, not by their goodness, not by the law. And then in chapter 4, Paul does something absolutely fascinating. He anticipates a counter-argument that the Jews might try to give. And the counter-argument that the Jews might try to give is they might try to point to the Old Testament and make a case that in the Old Testament, people received God's blessing and received salvation based on whether they kept the law or not. And then the Jews in this church might try from there to make the argument that salvation is by works. And what Paul does in chapter 4 is he says that his argument, that salvation comes by faith, that being right with God comes by grace through faith, is actually rooted in the Old Testament. Um, I've said this before, and it's a statement that I hope you leave this class with. The reason the New Testament teaches things is because the Old Testament taught them first. Now, does the New Testament sometimes teach things with more clarity in light of Christ? But was Christ spoken of in the Old Testament? What are some examples of that? Where to start? (laughs) What did you say, Isaac? A lot of prophecy. A lot of prophecy. A lot of types. You remember your types from last year? Huh? Snake on a stick. Snake on a stick, yes. Jonah, Solomon. We have, we have the idea that the Old Testament taught of Christ, and so why does the New Testament teach of Christ? Because the Old Testament predicted it, and now he's, he's come. The New Testament can speak of it sometimes with more clarity, but it doesn't teach anything that is actually... Think about this. It doesn't really teach anything that's new. Uh, A way of thinking about it is that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The newness of the New Testament is that there is a new clarity, a new light that's kind of shown on it. A really good analogy of this. Imagine that... Um, how many of you guys have blackout curtains in your room? A lot of you do. Oh, even with a blackout curtain in your room, if it's daylight outside and you walk in, 
is there's still a little bit of light that comes through kind of the edges. So you, you walk into your room and imagine that it's really dimly lit. Can you see everything clearly if it's only dimly lit? You can make out some shapes and you can, you can make out, okay, this is probably the bed, but you can't make out all the colors. You can't make out all the detail. But as the curtain is pulled back and a little bit more light comes in and a little bit more light comes in, you're able to see things with, a, with greater precision, greater detail. It's a good way to think of scripture. In the Old Testament, you have a room that's dimly lit. But in the New Testament, Christ has come and you can see things more clearly on this side of the cross. Or you can think about it like an acorn. You guys know what an acorn is. If an acorn uh, is put in the ground and it's watered and everything, what does it eventually become? It becomes a tree. Out of this little tiny round thing, or out of a seed, right? You guys, you guys ever eat watermelon and then your mom told you, you know, watermelon's going to grow in your tummy? It never actually happened for most of you, right? But, but you, you plant these little tiny seeds... And inside of that little tiny seed is an oak tree, or is a watermelon. Everything is already inside of it to make this enormous plant one day if it gets the proper care. And you can think of the scriptures that way as well. In the Old Testament, you have the seeds. And in the New Testament, you see the growth. And so there's no real novelty in the New Testament. There's just a a greater light that's been thrown on it. And in chapter 4, Paul says that what he's taught about works and faith is really something that was taught way back in the Old Testament. And he uses Abraham as his example. Why do you think he does that? Why do you think he's going to point to Abraham for his example? Yeah, that's going to be his exact argument. Why, why do you think that he chooses Abraham and not like just some other pre-Sinai figure, though? Like, what, what is important about Abraham in the Old Testament? The first, like, main covenant with God? <coughs> yeah, that's true. He's the father of what? He's the father of Israel, so... Remember a second ago, I said, you know, Paul is going to anticipate kind of this counter argument that these Jewish Christians might try to bring. Well, Paul, you're saying this, but doesn't the Old Testament show that if you want the blessings and favor of God, you've got to follow the law and we follow the law and the Gentiles don't. So doesn't God love us more? Aren't we better than them? And Paul is going to take them back to their father to the father of the Jews, the father of Israel, to Abraham. And he's going to ask the question, how did Abraham receive the favor of God? How was Abraham saved? And Abraham lived before Sinai. So could Abraham be saved by the law that was received at Sinai? No. And Abraham, he was circumcised like every good Jew should be. But he was circumcised in Genesis 17. 
And it was in Genesis 15, 6 that we read, Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. Or to use our New Testament word, Abraham was justified. justified. He was counted as a righteous person. And it was because Abraham what? Kept the law so well? Was circumcised? Abraham what? Believed God. To use our New Testament language that Paul's using, Abraham had faith and then he was justified. He was counted righteous in God's sight. One of the points that I think Paul's driving at If God has justified a person and has counted that person righteous and considered that person righteous, should you despise that person and look down on them? If God has set his love on that person and has declared this person is right with me, then if you're one of God's people, they should be right with you as well. This animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles, Paul has no room for it, no place for it. All have sinned, so they're all equal. But all are now justified by grace through faith in Christ, just like Abraham was. And so there should be peace in this church. I think the main practical takeaway of the entire book of Romans is found in Romans 15, 7. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. If Jesus has embraced a person with open arms through grace, by faith, if he's justified them, then we should accept God's value judgment there. And we should welcome them just as Christ has. If my voice is still good, then we're going to go over chapter 5 tomorrow, which is the whole um, Adam in Jesus thing and see how Paul makes this point from a different angle. Um, I'm not going to assign any reading tonight. Remember that your memory verse is due on Monday and it's Romans 5:19. Once my voice is back, I'll give you a quiz. I didn't want to do that today. I wanted to save it for lectures because I've got one more uh, to do next period. But um, you guys have, Uh, a little over 10 minutes, so just kind of hang out for now.